many creative people become kind of obsessed with a concept. Quite recently, I became obsessed with with those movies. There's several of them where there's a phone call coming from within the house. I, I just found the idea terrifying. So I went through and and watched a bunch of movies of, of varying quality uh, about that idea. And during the, during the process of formulating Double Walker, I became very, very interested both in the legends of, I'll say it, it, it's doppelganger and yeah. it's a, it's become a, it's a term today that um, has become kind of like a funny thing to say, like, Hey, I saw your doppelganger at the store today. And it's somebody who looks vaguely like your friend. But if you look into the, the root of that and the various myths and legends that are connected to it, I, I became so enamored with it that I, I, I said, that's what this story is. This story is going to be our modern version of how we, how we feel this would manifest into the world. Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. First, I want to welcome Michael Conrad and also Noah Bailey, who have a really cool graphic novel, Double Walker. And one of the cool things about it is, right off the bat, it quotes this from Shakespeare, sleep thou and I will wind thee in my arms. Fairies be gone, be all the, all the way away. I love it. Anything with Shakespeare gets my attention. And then you have Scotland as well and legends and myths, totally on board. So Michael, how did this story uh, come to you? I know both of you, you and Noah had worked together before. Right. So Noah and I, our previous story was similar in the regard that it featured um, an unreliable narrator. And we, we love that because we think, I think we share the philosophy that in life, everything uh, is told by an unreliable narrator. And we kind of take that for granted. Um, so it's something that we really like to play with in, in the stories that we tell. We really didn't know the next step until I found myself in the UK and I took a trip very similar to the one that the protagonists in this story take. And I was just so blown away by the natural beauty of the Scottish oh, yeah. Highlands. Oh. Oh, it's, listeners, if you've never been, do it. It's, it. It'll change your life. And it certainly changed mine. Beyond that, much like you, uh, a passion for mythology for fairy tales for, and particularly for some of the more grim and bleak ones that have kind of been polished up over the years and presented in a way that has reframed them as positive beings. And as we, as we all know, um, all beings are on a spectrum morally and, and ours is leaning to the darkest end of it. There is more sci-fi talk. So stay tuned. For both of you, how does this collaboration work between artist and writer? Do you write something and then pass it off to Noah? Is it hand in hand or do you write it all first and then you give it to Noah? And then both of you can comment. We'll start with you, Michael. With Noah, because we're so connected um, in terms of our interests and our goals as creators, uh, much of it happens in conversation. I'll just... I'll, I'll get an idea, I'll throw it at Noah, he'll throw back some ideas, 
Noah's much more of a participant in the writing element than he's given credit for. It, but in terms of the actual draft in the script, that's something that I'll do. I'll send it along to Noah. And Noah very rarely comes back with notes saying, hey, could you do this or do that? He's, he's very good about allowing me to express myself in that time. And not even as a consequence of that, more as a reflection of Noah's incredible talent. When he sends me art, I have never, <laughs> never needed to be like, hey, could you go rework this element? He's got great sensibilities. And so in that way, we're, we're a great partnership. What do you say, Noah? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty much exactly like he said. I think there, there are some times where, where I'm reading the script and I think, um, oh, this type of panel would, I, I, I'll throw something in or like, uh, I'll like add little things here and there as like a, like a character quirk or something. And uh, specifically like one instance in this book, uh, when Coley goes up to the old man of store uh, and he takes his picture in front of it. You know, I added an extra frame where he's making a silly face and then he's doing a serious face, you know, and I just little things like that that are really fun, you know, and we kind of I think we both really like to surprise each other. So um, I love doing that stuff. And I love when he's excited about it, when he sees it. And as far as the color palette, there's almost a, a dream or maybe a nightmarish quality to it. Was that something that came to you and you both talked about, Noah? Well, this is actually, so this is the first time I've ever actually colored an entire like uh, sequential story. So I was honestly, I didn't know how to approach it at first, but I thought that um, it made sense since so many of my influences on this book were fairy tale illustrators that I would try to kind of uh, capture that feeling. And uh, so I just used, I used four colors for the entire book and just uh, mixed them together and tried to figure out diff different creative ways to get wild color schemes. And then sometimes uh, <clears throat> it was just really fun to play with lighting and uh, like colors in the sky and things like that. I had a, I had a great time with it, but yeah, that's basically it. Michael, uh, I actually did a little research about what a double walker is, and there's a German word for it, of course, and I don't want to spoil anything, but they're actually pretty frightening. Was that what you based the story on, that particular <clears throat> myth or legend? I go through these things. I think many creative people become kind of obsessed with a concept. Quite recently, I became obsessed with with those movies, there's several of them where there's a phone call coming from within the house. I, I just found the idea terrifying. So I went through and, and watched a bunch of movies of, of varying quality uh, about that idea. And during the, during the process of formulating Double Walker, I became very, very interested both in the legends of, I'll say it, it's doppelganger. And yeah. it's, a, it's become a, it's a term today that um, has become kind of like a funny thing to say, like, hey, I saw your doppelganger at the store today. And it's somebody who looks vaguely like your friend. But if you look into the, the root of that and the various myths and legends that are connected to it, I, I became so enamored with it that I, I, I said, that's what this story is. This story is going to be our modern version of how we how we feel this would manifest into the world. 
but yeah, I really encourage people to dip in and do their homework on it. It's a, it's a terrifying, there's a bunch of different varieties of them and they're all scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, the beauty of the course is that it feeds the imagination. So you had that in the back of your mind when you're reading and, and watching, the, you know, seeing the pics and you're like, oh yeah, that's right there. It like this or like that. And it just, it just really feeds the story really well. And uh, I, I really like that. Talk about the, the Gallaghers and it, it, you know, they, it's uh, it, so many couples do this. It's their last trip before they start making babies and responsibility settles in. So talk about them, Michael, and then Noah, as far as visualizing them, what was your input with it? We'll start with Michael first and then go to you, Noah. We wanted there to be some real stakes in the story. And one of the ways that you make people um, feel something is to make them fall in love with the, with the characters, whether they're good, bad, if their behavior is off or on, you want them to have a certain charisma to them. So with, with Cully and Gemma, I really wanted to show um, kind of a contemporary relationship of with all the teasing uh, some, some insinuation of potentially there being a little bit, of trouble at times for them, but ultimately two people that are in love and they're um, excited in their own ways about what lies before them. Having a child, I, I, I don't have a child, but I, I can imagine, and I've been around expectant parents enough to know uh, it, it's, it's terrifying. And oh, yeah. it's also, and it's also a beautiful time. It's yeah. a time of, uh, as with anything, when you know something big is going to happen, the mind goes to uh, the worst extremes as well as the best. And I think Noah did a did a fine job of of presenting them as people that you might meet. Did any ideas kind of jump out at you as, as far as how to visualize them, Noah? He sent me character descriptions um, initially before he sent me the script even, and um he gave me some actors and actresses to kind of base them off of. And um, I, I was just trying to come up with a little bit of their life beforehand. And I kind of envisioned Gemma as being like an ex like punk rocker and uh, having a very interesting past, you know, and uh, Coley being like a more of like a golf kid and kind of spoon fed, you know? And uh, so like a, a lot of my character, uh, my concept art was like Gemma in like, you know, punk t-shirts going to bed, like oversized shirts and then like a sundress and combat boots and uh Coley wearing a lot of like puffer jackets and things like that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think my favorite character is the barkeep and um, I tried to kind of base him off of uh a few of my favorite like old character actors and kind of give him a little bit of a rougher kind of, but still kind of inviting, almost friendly, but you're not really sure of his intentions, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I like to think a lot about um, all of the characters motives and their history and kind of try to convey that and their facial features and their clothing choices and things like that. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. For capturing Scotland, 
I don't know if Michael might have shown you some pictures he might have taken on his trip, but what was kind of like your research in kind of, uh, you know, in, in visualizing it? So somebody from Scotland would say, yeah, that looks like it. Instead of saying, yeah, it doesn't look anything like it. Um, so I, I bought several books on um, the Scottish Highlands and different Scottish neighborhoods and folklore. And then one thing that was like r- totally invaluable in the whole process was uh, there were a lot of um, like walkthroughs of people walking up to store. And then um, there was a camera mounted on someone's dashboard as they were driving through the town that this story takes place in. And those were massive um, for me, but I honestly had more fun on the backgrounds than anything else. I just had so much fun drawing those environments. Cool. There's more sci-fi talk, so please stick around. Let's get back to sci-fi talk. I'm Tony Tolato. Michael, you have a background in mental health. As far as creating characters, does that background really help you out as far as character motivations and fleshing out who they are? Yeah, I think, um, you know, having worked in mental health, I've been around a number of people who struggle with identity issues, uh, who struggle with hearing voices, maybe struggle is a poor term to use. They're they're dealing with them. They're they're finding ways to maintain their functionality while experiencing these hardships that, that maybe we don't always experience. That being said, uh, there are moments in everyone's life where you look in the mirror and you're confused about what is looking back at you. It's almost like you've forgotten that you inhabit this body and what, what you see looking back at you is, can be bizarre and frightening. But that's just the surface level of it. I conti- I'm a grown man, and I continue to discover elements of myself that have either been repressed or things that I just never explored. I continue to discover things that interest me, and I, my ideas and worldviews change routinely. And, and that can cause real moments of not just reflection, but questioning. Have I been living a lie? Am I really who I believe that I am? am is, is this thing that I'm projecting to the world at large, is it genuine? Is it authentic? Um, so when you combine people who have a diagnostic history of identity issues, as well as my own uh, normal, in quotes, uh, identity issues, uh, you find that there isn't a huge bit of difference there. It's, it's a matter of discovering ourselves and in the scary elements that go along with that. And that's, that's what is going on uh, in Double Walker. Uh, there's a fantastical element, but ultimately it's, a, it's that story that we all share. When you work, Michael, how do you like to work? Do you outline before you start? Or sometimes you just, people, writers like Things kind of come to them when they come to them. And sometimes a little bit of both. Yeah, I think a little bit of both is is probably what I would say for myself. I definitely, I'll come up with a rough idea and I'll jot down a couple sentences about it. And then so that I can get through and make sure that I'm getting the page count and the beats the way that I want them to be, I, I will write down 
uh, rough description of the page. And then I'll go back later and I will write down, okay, the, this happens in this panel and so on and so forth. Just one little sentence. And I do that kind of before I really get into the actual drafting of the script. Once I begin drafting the script, the roadmap is all there and the rest is discovered along the way. Sometimes that takes me way off of the course of the original roadmap. But as with any good journey, sometimes you got to lean into it and say, hey, this is a pit stop worth taking. This is a divergence worth going down. And, and it's in that that I think we discovered a lot of the nuance and some of the more interesting and impactful moments of the book. I remember uh, Thomas Talley, who I think wrote Silence of the Lambs. He was writing and then he said, Hannibal Lecter walked in the room and literally took over the story. Does that happen where, the, where a character maybe you weren't thinking of, even for a graphic novel, says, hey, you got to pay attention to me here? I used to hate when I would hear people say stuff like that. I just <laughs> hated it. It's, it. It seemed so pretentious, and it seemed like, <laughs> oh, you're trying to build this mythology around you. But it's true. The characters begin to speak to you. Uh, they, they make demands of you. Someone will come out of the bushes and say, hey, I'm, I'm over here and, and I'm doing something compelling that you weren't there for. And that's what's exciting about creating things is um, when you feel yourself slowly being drawn out of the driver's seat <laughs> and, and, you, and you become a passenger to the story and, and you try and grab the wheel and yank it over when it starts going into dangerous places. But every now and then, if you're bold enough, you allow... You allow the car to drift, go into the woods, and, and you see what kind of scary things you can find out there. So mm -hmm. uh, if, if my process is at all comparable to um, the person that wrote Silence of the Lambs, that I, that I feel validated and I feel like I'm doing something okay. There are many ways to get there. That's one thing I've learned doing this all these years, as long as you get there. And yeah, I remember a TV writer says, for, for, this is for a season of television. They go, we know we're going from New York to California, but if there's a, some cool place to stop, we're going to stop, <laughs> but we're still going to California. So, I mean, it, you have a goal and, but yeah, making a pit stop, if it's interesting, why not? The readers or the audience will love it. So go for it. That's what I say. Yeah. Noah, how do you like to work? I mean, I've talked to illustrators and, and artists and, you know, some of them like to do the old hand by hand. Even animators I've talked to will do it by hand first rather than go to their tablet or computer, their Mac or their PC. How do you like to work? Yeah, I like to do everything traditionally. Um, so I just, I mean, I use every medium I can get my hands on really just because I get bored so easily of just drawing with ink or anything honestly I'll get bored of so I uh with this book in particular I've made a rule for myself at the beginning just so that I didn't get I, I didn't get any in any uh creative ruts by trying to adhere to conventions you know so I just told myself anytime I want to do anything I'm gonna do it you know so there were times when I was you know destroying paint brushes and making weird textures and I have tons of pieces of paper all around trying to get certain textures and uh 
Yeah, that's honestly the like some of the most fun, and there there are like scenes in there where there's some foliage and uh, it's kind of abstracted, you know, and uh, it's just a bunch of squiggles and lines and things like that. Those are the things that I that I love doing the most, and I love building up textures. That's those that's just like everything for me. So, do you draw like on, you know on paper, and do you scan that and transfer it to a computer sometimes? Yes. Yeah. So with this, yeah. So I drew everything on white paper. And then um, when I scanned it in, I scanned in some, t- um, some tan toned paper that I had and I altered the tone. And then I used that as on every panel. That's why you'll see all the pulp in the paper and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it almost gives it an animation quality to it. You almost think like the pages actually come to life. So credit you for that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that that's uh I was really, really into uh Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I bought a bunch of uh Pinocchio like uh the making of books and things like that. Yeah. That was, that's what I was going for. So thank you. Well, one thing about that movie, I don't want to digress here, but uh at the time Disney had their best staple of animators because they had just finished Fantasia and they did Pinocchio right after that. So they did all kinds of water effects and everything in Fantasia. So when it came to the whale sequences, they had it down with the water. I mean, it looks so natural. But yeah, that's, oh, that's a fascinating thing. And of course, in those days, there were no computers, so they drew everything out. Yeah. And that's the yeah. way they did it. Yeah. And I love those watercolor backgrounds. They're oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Michael, we'll start with you. Uh, what's it feel like to be on Comixology and to be you know, dealing in their in being part of their originals. I think one of the greatest things about being with Comixology Originals uh, is that we had very little oversight in, in terms of the type of story that we were telling. Uh, I write Wonder Woman and I write Midnighter and Batgirls for, for DC Comics. And all of those things um, come with a lot of oversight. It's sure. It, DC is owned by Warner Brothers, which is owned by AT&T. There's people who are making toys right now who are interested in making sure that we tell the kind of stories that are going to work in the comic, but also let's make sure that those toys get, get sold. With Double Walker, it was really just Noah and I in a vacuum allowed to explore these these thematic elements that are troubling, uh, potentially offensive, hopefully not. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully we've uh, addressed them uh, in sensitive ways. But that's that's the biggest bit, is that we're allowed to do exactly what we would like and to retain the rights. That's the other thing. I'll never own Wonder Woman. I I own half of this created work. And it's, um, it's with great pride that I own half of this work because... This is our our hearts on on the page, and it's presented in a in a digital medium that has its ups and downs. I would love it to be in print and to hold it on my lap and flip the page, but it's also great that it's anyone that's got a device that can handle such such a program is able to get at it. And particularly, uh, so many people have Amazon Prime now, and Comixology Originals are available for free to read on Amazon Prime. So 
that's fantastic. Our goal was to make sure a lot of eyes get on this book and to be able to have that kind of accessibility. You, you can't get that anywhere else. What's it like for you, Noah? I mean, you, you both obviously had some freedom and to, to know you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder uh, is uh, that's pretty free. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There were, they did have a few notes when we turned in the story initially, but um, it was more, it wasn't so much like uh, you guys need to change this. It was like, are you sure about this? You know, but um, <laughs> uh, it turned out for the best. And um, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about the team over there. They're, they're really great people. They really seem to care. They're incredibly helpful every step of the way. Yeah, I love the platform. I think it's fantastic. And now that they have a, a deal with Dark Horse. That's um, right. For, it will be in print yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I look forward to that. But I also just think, uh, you know, the digital pa- platform is so cool. And it does allow so many people who would otherwise not see the book, especially, you know, some of my relatives. I mean, that you know, these people have never read a comic in their lives, but they hop on Amazon Prime and they're, you know, they're reading my book, which is so fun, you know, so. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about them. Well, Michael, are there more stories to tell uh, with these myths and legends, uh, or is Double Walker uh, pretty much a one-shot? Oh, we could we could keep going easily, easily. There's always more to tell. I think it was Neil Gaiman who I who I adore. Oh yeah, uh, once said the only reason a story has a happy ending is because it stops being told. But we're dealing. Potentially with with fairies who have been around long before man and potentially long after man. Yeah, there's a lot of stories to be told. There's so many myths that we reference in Double Walker um, that I that I desperately wanted to explore further. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It would be neat to to revisit. Um, some of these myths and, and characters and to build them out a bit more. But for now we're, we're, we hope that everyone feels like they had a full meal with double Walker and that if that is the only version of this that you ever get, uh, we're very comfortable with that. I had a friend suggest that we, that we do uh, Gemma's version of it. Just oh. tell us tell the same story, but from her perspective, and I yeah. think that would be that would be really uh, that'd be something. Yeah, I, I like when when people do that, where where some, you see it from a totally different perspective, and uh, that's a lot. That could be a lot of fun. Are you working on anything now? Uh, you know, in these uh, pandemic times. <laughs> oh, it, it never stops. As I mentioned yeah. earlier, I'm I'm doing a lot of stuff with DC Comics. Noah and I have a, have a number of different smaller projects that we've contributed to. Uh, notably, there's a, a, a collection of stories from this organization called Rewriting Extinction, and we got to collaborate with our friend uh, and famed colorist Lee Luridge um, to tell a story about um, time travelers dealing with trying to save the future from global climate change and and mm. the resulting uh the resulting ramifications of us being you know kind of hands off with that kind of thing so that was that was really fun and exciting noah and i of course have another big book that we're already 
you know, it's in the pupil stage, pupa stage right now. Yeah. Um, but it's growing and uh, it's going to, I, I think this next one uh, is going to be really fantastic and very different from, from what was seen in Double Walker. Mm-hmm. So is that what's keeping you busy right now, Noah? Well, right now, we actually, we're working on a, a horror, an eight-page horror comic for, for a, a horror publication. And then I'm, I'm doing a, f- a handful of small comics for some anthologies and then some illustration and film poster work until we start the, the real work on our next book. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to our next book because everything we've talked about is just so incredibly exciting to me. And it's all of the things that I love. And um, it's going to be one big, it's going to be a lot bigger and a lot more epic and spanning a long period of time. And I'm really excited to get into that. All right. Well, it's Double Walker Comicsology Originals. And yes, it will be available on Dark Horse as well. And nothing like that tactile experience. Michael Conrad and also Noah Bailey, thank you for being on the podcast and best of luck to you. Stay healthy and stay well. Thanks so much, Tony. You too. Yeah, thank you, Tony. It's been a, been a real privilege to be here. Uh, Absolutely. My pleasure. Believe me, gentlemen. And you can also enroll for a free lifetime membership at Sci-Fi Talk Plus with early release episodes, exclusive and uncut episodes. Just click on the link in the show notes. It's free for a lifetime. Now, if you subscribed, you would get weekly a day before the actual release. And it also uncut and commercial free. So there you go. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.